0: All right. Good evening. evening. I am a little behind (laughs) uh, today just uh, because Brother Eddie's out. And so uh, um, I had to go ahead and pass the curriculum out. I'm not used to doing that. So uh, bear with me as I get my bearings here. But we are uh, in lesson 119 of the life of Christ. Again, there's 129 in total. So we are almost to the end. Uh, We, uh, of course, last Wednesday night, uh, we uh, took our time to go over the first three hours of Jesus on the cross uh, tonight we are going to uh, conclude the the final three hours now actually, this class and then the next class are all going to uh, be uh, situated around these final three hours and so uh, we 'll be here for i guess uh, until next week uh, when we get to that as well but Uh, We we talked about how those first three hours were literally um, hours of light, right? Uh, uh, This happened, uh, again, from 9 a.m. to noon, uh, uh, those first three hours of Jesus on the cross. But what we're going to notice today is there's going to be three hours uh, of darkness, uh, literal darkness. And uh, again, just to kind of recap what we studied last week, uh, we, we grouped uh, that lesson by the group, the, the crowds of people that were there uh, around Jesus on the cross. And we, we started by talking about the soldiers. I remember, we had those four soldiers that divided up uh, Jesus' clothing, and we noticed that that was a fulfillment of prophecy, right? That that was going, uh, from Psalm 22, that, uh, that, that that was going to, again, happen. Uh, we, we talked about the crowd. Remember the onlookers? Uh, who were hurling abuse towards Jesus. Uh, they were wagging their heads at Jesus. And again, that was uh, prophesied as well in Psalm 22. Um, remember, that they were saying, you know, he, could, he saved others, but yet he can't save himself. And, you know, prove to us you're the Christ, right? Come down from the cross. And so Jesus was taking on all of that verbal abuse. Uh, we uh, mentioned, you know, what emotional um, pain would he have gone through uh, as he's taking that on? Uh, we talked about the thief on, or the thieves on the cross. Remember, two thieves, uh, right beside him, one on either side. Uh, we we looked at how, uh, of course, both of them at the beginning were um, contrary to Jesus, but by uh, the end, uh, we know that one of them was repentant, and, um, and Jesus told him that today you will be with me in paradise. And we also talked a lot about you know, the, the thief and, and why we study him quite often, right? Uh, because, uh, you know, people often want to bring up the thief in uh, salvation issues. And so we talked a lot about that. And then we finished by talking about the women who were at the cross, uh, the Marys, right? And, uh, and uh, of course, John taking care of Jesus' mother. And we also noticed or we finished that class noticing that there were uh, many who were sort of uh, a little bit a ways off uh, viewing all of this. Uh, standing at a distance. And so, um, you know, we've gone through a lot, haven't we, Uh, really, uh, in the past couple of months, starting off with Jesus in the upper room. uh, We've walked with him through the streets of Jerusalem uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. We've, you know, witnessed that mob taking him, arresting him. Uh, We've observed those trials, right, The, the, the Jewish trials and the Roman trials, uh, we've watched him make his way slowly to Calvary, uh, with hope, and we've, uh, you know, and we've, you know, uh, heard those, you know, the the, the executioner's um, pounding of the nails into his hands and his feet. So we've noticed quite a bit uh, again over the past couple of months. And so, um, again, we're going to divide the crucifixion up into those two sections. Again, we've studied the the hours of light. Today, we're going to study those hours of darkness now just kind of uh throw this out here um do we often remember this darkness aspect of jesus on the cross i mean when you think of jesus on the cross do, do, does that come to your mind the, uh, those three hours of darkness uh, uh, you know personally uh, just personally for myself i often forget about that uh that part of, uh, you know, Jesus upon the cross. I often forget, uh, you know, of those three hours of darkness, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, Why do we think God caused those three hours of darkness? And we don't have to talk, or we don't have to answer that right now, but uh, we'll get to that. But the other thing that we're going to notice tonight, we're going to finish those seven sayings on the cross. Uh, Remember, we've, we've already noticed three of those, uh, that Jesus, uh, that it's recorded for us. Remember that first one, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And I s- actually saw today a, uh, a neat little chart that kind of emphasized each one of these sayings uh, with a word starting with P. And so uh, this was the pra- a prayer, right? Uh, a prayer that Jesus made, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then that second saying that we noticed last week uh, was Jesus saying to the thief, again, today you shall be with me in paradise. And so there's a promise. Right? Jesus makes a promise uh, from the cross. And then the last one we noticed was uh, Jesus first saying to his mother, woman, behold thy son. And then he turns to the apostle John and says, behold your mother. And uh, the P there is provision provision. Jesus is making provisions for his mother as he's about to die on the cross and he gives that responsibility to the Apostle John. So um, let's, as we dig into these final three hours, let's start in Matthew 27 and we'll read Matthew's account and then we'll also read Luke's account and then we'll, we'll discuss some things. So Matthew 27 starting in verse 45. Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sambachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things which were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly this was the Son of God. Okay, so there's a a lot to unpack unpack there. Again, next week we're really, the the focus of the lesson is going to talk about some of those uh, miraculous things that happened there, the, the veil tearing, uh, the rocks, the earthquake, the, um, the, the saints coming out of the tombs. And so we'll, we'll save that piece for next week. Uh, but let's jump to Luke chapter 23 and let's read what Luke's account says for these final three hours. Luke 23, starting in verse 44. Luke 23, starting in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, and because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to, ret- to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, uh, let's quickly, before we jump into those final four sayings on the cross, let's talk about this darkness for a little bit. Um, What do you think happened uh, about this this, this darkness? I mean, do you think this was sort of like a light switch, uh, that it went from light to dark like that? Or or maybe uh, let's ask, you know, was this darkness simply confined to Jerusalem, uh, Judea? Was it the whole world? Um, Any thoughts about that? Would have okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll touch on here in a moment. Uh, that, that could possibly be, uh, yeah. The what we I think we read that verse uh, that talked about how it was over the whole land. So again, whether that's referring to you know just that portion of you know, Judea or the whole world, you know, maybe we we just don't know. But uh, many. Uh, who are skeptical about this? You know, um, they'll say, "Well, this was—you know—this this can be explained, right? Th- this was simply an eclipse, uh, an eclipse, uh, a solar eclipse." Now, let me let me test your—I um, hope this is a word—your astronomical um, intelligence. Uh, during the Passover, what uh, astronomically happens? What kind of moon do we have during the Passover? A full moon, a full moon. right. And so, um, it, what, what's it take to have a full moon? I mean, what, how, do they have to, how does the moon, the sun, the earth have to be aligned for a full moon to take place? <laughs> okay, yeah, so, so if I'm the earth, and for a full moon to take place, you know, the sun's got to be on one side and the moon's got to be on the other, right? To get that full moon. So uh, the Passover, uh, a full moon occurs, and so if that's the case, if you got the moon on one side, the sun on the other, could a solar eclipse take place during the Passover? It can't, can it? It's just impossible, right? And so uh, we we know that this. Uh, could not have been a solar eclipse. That couldn't be the reason why darkness fell upon the land. So what is the only logical explanation as to why this happened? God God. caused it. It was a miraculous event that God caused, right? And, you know, when we look at the text, you know, that's sort of evident uh, because, uh, I mean, notice uh, uh, that, you know, Luke lumps uh, those two things together. Uh, when he talks about how uh, the veil was split in two and the darkness occurred. And we know the veil splitting in two was obviously miraculous. And so him lumping those two together uh, lets us know that this was a miraculous event. And, you know, what happens when Jesus finally dies on the cross at at around 3 p.m.? Sorry? Sorry? Okay, the earth shook, but uh, but what about this darkness? What happens to the darkness? It goes away, doesn't it? the, the, the light comes back on uh, as soon as uh, you know Jesus dies on the cross. So, again, uh, you know we're not talking about uh, you know some sort of a, um, you know eclipse. We're not talking about anything of that nature. But this is. You know, this is miraculous. This is the hand of God behind this. And so, as Mike kind of pointed out, why, you know, why, why did this happen? Why were these three hours of darkness? And, you know, the curriculum kind of talks about a couple of things. Uh, maybe this is when God laid on him uh, the sins of the world during this time. And maybe that's what that darkness is representing. Uh, maybe this is allowing Jesus to suffer in silence. Uh, maybe this is to hide the Savior from the jeers and from his sorrowing friends. You know, obviously the Bible doesn't tell us specifically why that three hours of dark. Yes, God. Is it possible that just like in Exodus, when uh, you know God had the children of Israel under the cloud during the day, that the same thing happened during this three hours? And it just the darkness just means that the sun was in. It doesn't mean it was pitch black. It just means the sun was obscured. So it could be just the clouds had rolled in. God caused the clouds to roll in. Is that possible? That could be. I thought you were going to go a different way with that when you brought up Exodus about maybe the ninth plague, where, you know, the darkness upon the land for, I think it was three days. Um, but yeah. So. Again, we don't know exactly why, but we just we know that it was dark for the that three hours, that three hours, uh, his final three hours there on the cross, and so obviously that makes a deep impression on the people, right? Because uh, we see uh, the centurion um, that we'll talk about, I think, in a couple of weeks. You know his reaction, uh, and a lot of the others who are at the cross. So. Um, you know, our time is fleeting already, but let's uh, <clears throat> jump into these final four sayings. Let's try to uh, finish this tonight. Um, back in Matthew's account, uh, Matthew 27. So here is the fourth of the seven sayings in Matthew 27, uh, verse 46. And this is going uh, if to, you're, if you're following along with those P words, this is a petition uh, where Jesus again here says, if I can get here, 12, 27, verse 46. Uh, in Aramaic, he says, Eli, Eli, lama, sam, which, you know, translated into English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this one's probably the most controversial of all the sayings on the cross. Um, you know, what what's going on here? Is, is Jesus truly being forsaken by the father he our sins he our sins on him. he is isn't he? he he he's bearing our sins right he's um he's carrying those sins yeah that's um that's the sort of the normal uh, conclusion that a lot of people come to is right that that god is holy and you know, you read passages like Habakkuk one thirteen that says, you know, God can't even look at sin. And so, um, and so here, uh, many believe that, you know, Jesus here saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, obviously this isn't a permanent forsaking, right? It's a, it's, um, you know, temporary in, in nature. Um, separation. The, the separation, right, uh. Isaiah fifty nine right one and two talks about how sin separates us from God and you know there there are many passages we could go to uh, to see that in the uh, New Testament Second uh, Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one comes to mind uh, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf uh, so that we might become the righteousness the righteousness of God in Him you know First Peter chapter two verse twenty four says that He bore the sins of the world. And so, you know, remember, Jesus is upon that cross, you know, uh, he's feeling alone, isn't he? Um. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Again, you know, I don't want to sound morbid or anything like that. But if you were to choose, you know, how you would pass on from this life, uh, you know, what would you choose, or how would you want it to go about? Do you want to be surrounded by loved ones? (coughs) Would you um, want no pain involved? Uh, Would you want to be maybe at home, you know, not necessarily out in public? Uh, Would you want it to not be associated with something, you know, of evil, right? Like, like, uh, you know, you're sticking up a bank and, uh, you know, the police take action. Well, think of Jesus, right? He's here on the cross. He's not necessarily surrounded by loved ones. He's in pain. He's out in public. The shame of being on the cross. And he's... Carrying the, the sins of the entire world, right? Uh, at that moment, do you think maybe he felt forsaken? This change, he day. Yeah, and l- l- let's, let's make that point. So, uh, Psalm 22, verse 1. I want to go to Psalm 22, verse 1. And we could spend the rest of the class talking about this. Um, so I'll try to make it quick. But Psalm verse 20, me, Psalm 22, verse 1, the very first verse, you know, David's writing here, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? That's what Jesus uh, just quoted. Do you think that maybe he was trying to get the people there to remember this Psalm? Uh... I should have, well, you know, if I, if I started to uh, say, you know, well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and uh, how's it go, uh, go cat go, uh, what's that? I thought I'd at least have Mike know that. The, the beginning lyrics of a song. Yeah, Blue Suede Shoes, right? I guess we don't have a lot of Elvis fans in here, do we? It's but, actually Carl Hopkins, but Okay, well, see. <laughs> being corrected already. But, um, but you, hear that, you hear those opening lyrics to that song, and you automatically know what's being played, right? Blue Suede Shoes. You know, Elvis Presley singing uh, that song. Well, uh, Jesus on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, maybe he's trying to get them to understand that, that psalm, uh, to, to think of that psalm, to remember that psalm, right? You know, the, the Jews, uh, they treated the scriptures, um, you know, with pretty high regard, right? I mean, they, they studied this, they, they memorized this, they knew this, this would have been a song that they would have sang. And so when Jesus says those words, their minds would have went back to the psalm. Right And Psalm 22 is a very beautiful messianic psalm where, uh, again, David's writing this a thousand years before uh, Jesus lives on the earth. But when you read throughout this psalm, uh, I mean, you, you see the, the, the scenes of the cross all throughout it. Uh, let's just pick up on a, a few of these. Um, well, I thought I had some of these written down. But, uh, you know, verse... Uh, Verse 16, at the very end of it, they pierced my hands and my feet. Well, uh, what, what's that in reference to? I mean, that's David prophesying of the, the crucifixion. Right? <coughs> Verses 7 and 8 of the same psalm, all who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip, they wag their heads saying, commit yourself to the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him because he delights in him. Didn't we see that uh, last week with the people sneering at Jesus and saying, you know, come down from that cross and such? Uh, Look at verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You know, that's very specific, isn't it? And we saw that play out last week, that uh, those four soldiers actually did that. And so with um, Jesus saying those words, again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? people would have thought of Psalm 22. They would have, you know, probably, it probably would have clicked with them that, hey, this is the Messiah. All of these things are coming true, right? The things that we've seen in the past few hours are exactly what's uh, uh, happening here. Now, did everyone understand what was going on when, when Jesus uttered those words? They didn't, did they? Some of them said, um, Perhaps he's calling for Elijah. Perhaps he's calling for Elijah. Um, Has Elijah already come by now? Well, he has, right, in in the spirit, in the spirit of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was that fulfillment of Elijah. And so uh, he's not calling for Elijah, right, but... But again, that's that's that fourth saying on the cross um, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have a question. Okay. Um, During this time period, in a few days, it was Passover. And Jerusalem was full of Jews, right? Yep. Well, if we... The reason I ask is because later the apostles have to speak in different languages. Yeah. Yeah, well, we do have in Acts chapter two um, where we have mentioned uh, all of the places, uh, verses nine and following, that you know that, that mentions you know where they're all coming from: um, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pont- Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the district of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. But they were, they spoke different languages. Well, yes, but there also is that common language of the day, uh, you know, Greek, Koine Greek, uh, sort of the everyday man's language, and so um, the Septuagint, which was uh, the Old Testament, you know, their Bible was translated uh, into Greek, and so uh, they would have studied that. Yeah. So, so that. So, so, communication would not have been a problem. It's a big problem it what, I, what I thought of. Right. But now, you know, we get to the day of Pentecost, and, you know, you've got all the apostles preaching in different languages for them. Yeah. yeah, I'll think about that. Yeah, um, let's turn to John chapter nineteen, and let's let's get to this fifth saying. John chapter nineteen, uh, verses. Oh wow, <laughs> we got five minutes left. Uh, John chapter nineteen, starting in verse twenty-eight. Uh, So after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So here's the fifth saying uh, I am thirsty i right? I am thirsty, and if, again, if you're following along with the peas, uh this would uh, associate with pain um, if you know if we went back all the way to psalm twenty two we would notice you know that David writes there my my tongue cleaves to my jaw all right? well, what does that sound like? Somebody is thirsty, isn't it and uh we notice here that uh you know Jesus is going to sort of make that Final, right at this, right at the end, this final cry, you know. And of course, uh, his his mouth is pretty dry, wouldn't it be, Uh, being up upon that cross, um, trying to breathe. And so uh, he's offered a drink here. Remember earlier he's offered a drink uh, for medicinal purposes, but he didn't take it. Uh, But now he does, so that he can at least you know make that final cry here. I'm sorry that I'm. Racing through here, but uh, number uh, the the sixth saying that he says here on the cross, it is finished uh, for purpose. Uh, it is finished, and uh, what did he mean by that? It is finished. He accomplished his mission on earth. Okay, yeah, he accomplished what he came to do, right? The, the Father's will. Um, this is a cry of victory, isn't it? A cry of accomplishment. Uh, but also maybe a cry of relief. And that brings us to our final uh, word. And again, I'm sorry for rushing through here, but uh, back in Luke 23, verse 46, we have Jesus crying out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last Some may wonder, you know, why? Um, at this time, uh, Jesus has died. What about the two next to him? Are they still alive? They are, aren't they? Uh, what do the, or what suggested that would happen to uh, those two on either side of him? Yeah, they, they, they wanted to hasten their uh, deaths. Uh, so they requested that the that all three of their legs be broken, right, and they do that to the thieves, but then they get to the jesus and he 's already died hasn 't he and there again another fulfillment of prophecy that uh, no bro no bone of him would be broken, but we think about that, and uh you know you know remember, recall why he Uh, you know, dies right now, right? Everything's finished. Everything's accomplished. Uh, If he would have continued, they wanted him down off the cross, didn't they? The Jews did, at least, uh, because uh, what was fastly approaching? Well, the Passover, but the Sabbath day, right? Uh, It was pretty close to the Sabbath day, and would they have um, been able to uh, you know, take Jesus down off the cross on the Sabbath day? No, it would have been against, you know, the, uh, their uh, Sabbath law. And so they want Jesus down off the cross before the Sabbath comes, right? And so that's why they have that, the legs broken hastily. But, of course, Jesus had already died, right? And again, that fulfills another prophecy that his no bone of his would be broken. And so uh, now did, did men take his life? Or did man take his life? No. Uh, Jesus said something to that effect earlier on, didn't he? That they, he had the authority to lay down his life, and, uh, and, he, and he gave it up, right? Uh, that's from John 10, 17, and 18. So a lot of information uh, here tonight. Uh, thankfully, next week we won't move forward, but we'll talk more about, again, the miraculous scenes that happen here. It's more of a, an apologetic lesson in uh, lesson number 120. But we'll talk about, again, that, that veil being torn, the, the, the earthquake, the, the shook, the rocks being split, uh, those coming out of the tomb, and just, again, focus some more on some of those uh, miraculous events uh, that happened surrounding uh, Jesus' death. But um, appreciate everybody being here tonight, and I think the bell's about to ring, but I'll let you go a little bit early. Thank you.